on behalf of Weinberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler, and joining us today is Robert Gordon from 21st Securities in New York City. We're here to talk about income tax planning for securities under the Trump administration. Welcome, Bob. Thank you for having me, Bob. Where do we begin? There's a lot of proposals out there. I think in your area of specialization, it's the taxation of interest and dividends and collars and straddles and capital gains. And Walk us through the basic proposals, both what Speaker Ryan is suggesting and what President-elect Trump is suggesting. Well, I think the Republican plan is a little simpler in that it's proposing a 33% tax rate and that capital gains, dividends, and possibly interest income would be taxed at half that rate or 16.5%. The Trump proposal is to lower the regular income tax, but at least at this time, there is no proposal to lower the capital gains tax or the qualifying dividend tax, which is not what I would expect to be at the end of the day. What we're talking about is interest and dividends would be taxed the same, and capital gains would be taxed also the same as dividends and interest. I believe only long-term gains. I think short-term gains would still be in the bucket of ordinary income tax at 33%. And the interest income tax break to investors is connected to a much larger proposal, which is denying interest deductions to corporations. And that's a much larger structural change that I can't see happening very quickly. I certainly could see the lower Trump tax rates kicking in and some of the other proposals in those first 100 days. But changing that dramatically, how corporations are going to be taxed, is probably not going to go quite so smoothly. So let's talk about some very practical blocking and tackling things. If President Trump's rates would become effective January 1st, 2018, we would have time in the middle here to do some planning. Or if there's a bright line effective date of, say, July 1st, for example. Let's take these one at a time, perhaps starting with capital gains. How do you manage your capital gains to put the gain you're going to realize on the other side of the line so you get this lower tax rate? but yet mitigate your risk in the meantime. I know your firm spends a lot of time in that area. So if today I wanted to sell $5 million worth of security with no basis, I would have to pay the taxes at 23.8. It's possible that if I'm patient and I wait, that rate could go as low as 16.5%. What do I do in the meantime to protect myself while waiting for that gain? Well, unfortunately, the government does see that people might want to lock in their economics and defer the gain, and that was why they passed the constructive sale rules in 1987, and that if we put together a hedge, which is a perfect hedge and removes out pretty much all the upside and downside, then it will be considered to be a sale on the day we do that, not necessarily deferring the realization of the gain till when you want it. If we put on some kind of a hedge that leaves at least a 15% band of opportunity for gain or loss, then we would think it's not a constructive sale, and you would have locked in a lot of your economics and deferred the realization of gain till you want. And that's what an awful lot of people that we have investing with us do is when they have low basis stock, they put on one of these hedges that's not a constructive sale. And right now, anyway, a lot of them leave them there till they pass away because 
at death, there's a step up in basis that forgives the gain. And if there's anything in the Trump proposals that I think has the ability to upend the paradigm that we've all been working with on tax efficiency, it's his proposal to do away with the estate tax, but at the same time do away with the step up in basis and replace it all with a taxation of gains at death, as they do in Canada. The way I understand the basic proposal is that the estate tax goes away. And Mr. Trump's website is far from clear. We would, A, have a tax at death, the Canadian system, an income tax at death, or B, we'd have pure carryover basis, or C, a combination of the two. So let's just talk about if we end up with pure carryover basis, how would that change investing? Because clearly people might be more willing to diversify earlier if you take away the carrot of a step up at death. Well, I think if you didn't have an estate tax and you had a carryover basis, and we look at what's called the lock-in effect, it would have both a positive and negative in that someone would say, gee, I'm gonna have to pay the tax one day, it's not gonna be forgiven at death, so why don't we just get rid of it now? meaning the lock-in effect would be lessened. On the other hand, for these positions that are very large and very low cost basis, it might literally mean a multi-generational deferral as the low cost basis shares are handed from generation to generation and no one chooses to pay the tax at all. Now let's come back to this very simple idea, my $5 million of stock with no basis. So I could do a collar, which is basically simultaneous puts and calls, I could possibly do some covered calls, which take away part of my risk, or buy puts by themselves. We could do a variable forward sale, which is much like a collar. Or when we spoke before, you did a very nice job of walking us through the efficacy of using a short sale against the box and how that would work. So let's take those one at a time. Bob, can you just talk about, just for the average practitioner out there, what is a collar? And how would you use that to get to, say, January 1st, 2018? So you are allowed to put on a transaction that limits your downside and keeps all of your upside. So you would be allowed to buy a put that locked in the value of $5 million if that's all you did. And if the stock went up, you could make money. And if the stock went down, you'd have to put to protect yourself. And there's no question that that's allowed within the constructive sale rules. But most clients who look at just buying a put have sticker shock in that puts can be very expensive. I believe Wall Street has made it a habit to say as long as we're in options land and you don't like laying out that much money for the put, how about if I created something for you called a zero-cost collar? And, it, of course, there is a cost, but it's more that you sell a call option and you take that money that you bring in from the call option that limits your upside, and you take that cash and you pay for the put. Now, if all you did was write a covered call, as long as that call wasn't very deep in the money, that also would be allowed and would be a constructive sale, but that only brings in a little bit of income. It does not really give you a lot of downside protection. The downside really only comes from the purchase of the put. Now, if you are going to buy a put, you are going to sell a call. If those both had the same strike price, that literally would be the same thing as a synthetic short sale and would be a constructive sale. So the government was supposed to write some rules, which they never really wrote the regulations on, that said that the clients have to leave themselves some ability to make or lose money. We believe the band for opportunity is 15%. 
So if you bought a put at today's value of 100%, we would not want you to write a call that was less than 115% of today's market price. And for that matter, if you sold a call that was at today's market price, limiting your upside, we'd like to make sure that you didn't buy a put that had a strike price any higher than 85% of today's. Most zero-cost callers probably wind up at about a 90% put being paid for by a 105% call. If for some reason you do do a constructive sale, you can cure it, well, but only cure it by covering the offending constructive sale and then being naked long again for 61 days. And once you've accomplished that, then you can do whatever you'd like. But you can't just get a straight deferral from a short sale without reopening yourself for 61 days. And that covering of the short and 61 days must start before January 31st of the following year. So you could do a short any time to this year, be completely hedged between now and January 29th of next year, defer the gain, and at that point you'll either have to be naked for 61 days and then undo the constructive sale, or for that matter, leave it alone, and it will still be a 2017 event, even if you closed it out in January of 2018. Bob, how do people find more about this? Could you give everyone your website just so it's easy for them to visit it and look at all the good things you and Mark Fichtenbaum put together over the last 15, 20 years? Sure. It is not password protected, and it is 21st.com, T-W-E-N-T-Y dash F-I-R-S-T dot com. There's a lot of articles there about constructive sales. There's articles there about if you were going to sell a call option, what call option you would need to sell in order to not trip over some of the rules about straddles, etc. But there's a lot of tools and articles that advisors may want to look at when thinking about what to do with their clients. So basically, we talked a little bit about deferral, but what do I do on the interest side? What's fascinating to me is that if the income tax rate and the interest would go down, first of all, let's talk about how do we defer interest into 2018 to get us past the mark? Assuming the bill is not retroactive January 1st, 17, it will be effective January 1st, 2018. What would you do if you're sitting on a 30 or $40 million cash position right now to push some of that interest income into 2018? Well, as a cash basis taxpayer, you don't have to pay tax on the interest income till it's paid. Uh, bonds do pay semi-annually. So if you today bought a bond that matured on January 2nd of 2018, we would have only one coupon tax this year and then the whole other coupon tax next year. So it may just be a matter of watching the maturity date of the bonds in relation to the date at which you're buying them. Bob, what if somebody buys a CD that doesn't mature until early January of 2018? Do we accomplish the same objective? I would think as long as it didn't pay any interest during the life of it. If it did pay interest and you were accredited interest each month, then I wouldn't think there'd be any deferral to it at all. But a zero coupon type would work. Bob, if interest is taxed at a lower rate, what's going to be the impact on municipal bonds? Would that not make municipal bonds less valuable? And the bond market really hasn't responded to this possibility. Well, I think there are those who report that muni bonds versus taxables have underperformed by a few percent since everybody's been figuring out these possibilities. I think if the tax rate went from 43.4 to 
33, that about a three or four point hit in the muni is about right for a 10-year bond. But if the tax rates went down to 16.5%, then it actually would be about a 10-point difference. And it's really that munis won't become taxable in some way. It's that the alternative investment becomes so much more attractive. So if you could buy a AAA-rated corporate bond that only pay a 16.5% tax, you know, a muni becomes less attractive as it relates to that. But it also could affect people's desire to sock money away in deferral vehicles. Since the current tax of 16.5% is low enough, why bother trying to defer it? So it can have a big effect on many levels. I want to get to one last point before we have to wrap up. Does it make sense to harvest losses now, especially if we have capital gains that we've already incurred or that we will incur in 2017? Let me know your thoughts on that, and let's talk a little bit about how some of the strategies you've developed to harvest losses without violating the wash sale rules, but simultaneously leaving some reasonable exposure to the stock. Well, we are believers that loss harvesting should be done all year, not just at the end of the year, because there are opportunities as the stock goes up and down during the year. But the problem is is that you have to let go of the stock for 31 days. And to most people, they're afraid that Murphy's Law is that's exactly the 31 days the stock will take off and only happen without them. So we found that people are more willing to do it all year if there's a way to keep their ownership. So as an example, you sell a stock and let's say buy a call option, it triggers the loss sale rule. But if you have a loss in a call option and then sell it and buy the stock, it doesn't trigger the loss sale rule and it doesn't really make a lot of sense and it's not symmetrical, but what it means is that you could sell a stock, buy a call option on the stock, sell the call option to take a big loss and then buy the stock again without violating the loss sale rule. So. For a short period of time, you own the option instead of the stock, but you still have play in the stock. So there's a variety of ways to work around the wash sale rule. David Schizer, who was the dean of Columbia's law school, actually wrote a paper called Perfect End Runs Around the Wash Sale Rule, which goes through nine or ten different possibilities of how you can continue to keep your economic ownership while still being able to take your loss. And People who can get comfortable and understand those transactions, I think, would be much more willing to harvest losses all year. As it relates to this year, when we don't really know what's going on, as it relates to tax rates and such, I don't know that I would run right out to be doing anything till we have a better idea of where all this is going. And as you said, sometimes they change the law and it starts the next year. Sometimes they have a blended rate for the whole year. Sometimes there's a June 31st to July 1st cliff where there's actually two different tax rates for the period of time before and the period of time after. This can go a lot of different ways. Bob Gordon, this has been a fascinating conversation. On behalf of Weinberg Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler with Robert Gordon of 21st Securities in New York City. Thank you for joining us today.